Uh, welcome to the Wellbeing and Career World podcast. I'm delighted to be chatting with founder of Watson Immigration Law, with expertise in business, investor, and family-based immigration, author and blogger, regularly quoted and published in the media, author of The Startup Visa and Legal Heroes, also founded a nonprofit called Widen to train and mentor lawyers to help detained immigrants, co-founder of Airport Lawyer that provided critical help during the travel ban crisis. A very warm welcome, Famina Watson. How are you today, Famina? I'm well. Thank you so much, David, for having me. I really appreciate it. No, no, thank you very much. So let's get this started off. The Irish people, for some unknown reason, maybe it's a European thing, um, where are you on planet Earth right now and what is the weather like? Well, I love it. You know, your listeners will probably tune into my accent. I probably sound <laughs> like I'm from London, but I'm actually um, from London, living in Seattle, Washington. So on the other side of the world. Um, it's interesting. The weather, I tell people, is very much like London in Seattle. It's gray away from gray a lot of the times. But when we have sunny weather, it's really beautiful. But today is gray. Um, it's a little cold and rainy. And we're experiencing Experiencing some of the things that you are with COVID, it's a you know, restricted lifestyle at the moment, but happy to be healthy and alive and here speaking with you. And what about then, is it like, is it like the movie Sleepless in Seattle? Is it romantic like that? Have you seen you the know, movie? I have. And that's, I, I refer to that movie when I talk about meeting my husband. Oh, wow. Uh, well, tell us more. I, tell me more. <laughs> <laughs> I, I came to visit Seattle after my... Um, uh, UK exams uh, to become a lawyer and I, I came here to visit and I had a blind date with my husband his name is Tom, Hi, Tom. and then yeah and then three years <laughs> later we got married but I, I always refer to the movie of Sleepless in, in Seattle because I, I only came here to visit and there was three days left to my visit when I met him right. and we spent a little time together and I went home thinking gosh um, I think I love this guy and when I got home and I got off the plane and I finally got to my computer, he said, here's my plane ticket. Here's the details. I'll, I will arrive on such and such date. So obviously he felt the same too. And here we are, you know, living in Seattle for 15, 16 years now. And we have two children. Um, and, you know, that movie still means a lot. But does it look the same as that? No. Um, no. <laughs> you know, it used to be a sleepy city at the time. But Seattle is a, you know, bustling um, city with a lot of technology companies like Microsoft and Amazon are headquartered here. But COVID has had some impact on the downtown Seattle area. So I hope we can come out of it. But you know, it's it's a modern version of what you've seen on television uh, in Sleepless Seattle in Seattle. So there's no Tom Hanks. Is, is, no is Tom your, Hanks, but I've, only, I've, I've Hanks, got my own it? Tom. Okay. <laughs> I've got I've got my to Tom hunky husband. Hunky <laughs> husband. So you have. I mean, you're su you're such a busy lady. I mean, when do you ever get time to do anything else? I mean, our podcast today is about your journey to becoming an immigration attorney. For non-american listeners uh, is an attorney the same as a lawyer that's correct yes and you know the uk system is similar to the irish system where you have barristers and solicitors i believe yeah. is that correct that's correct um in in the us there's only you know one profession 
uh, an attorney or a lawyer, same word. But the difference is that in the UK, the barrister and the solicitor, they do transactional work or you know, litigation work going into court, whereas the same terminology is used for whatever you practice. And I do not go to court. I'm not a litigator uh, anymore anyway. I, I, I trained as a barrister in the UK. Um, so my clients come to my office and I essentially fight with the government when it comes to immigration. So when did all this start? When did your passion start for law? Oh, gosh, I'm so glad you asked because I... I have to sometimes think about this. I always wanted to be a lawyer growing up. I was born in London. My father was a barrister. My mum's father was a lawyer in a different country. And I'd seen law in, in various other family settings. So to me, it, it felt like the way I should be going, I'll become a lawyer. So I very early on in my life formed the intention to become a lawyer but the path to becoming a lawyer was actually rather treacherous because I, <laughs> I didn't actually stay in London my entire life I was born there when I was a young girl my father took us to Bangladesh where my parents are from and so my education and lifestyle sort of went back and forth between countries and when I came back to London and I went to law school you know similar to how it is in Ireland you do need to have a traineeship to become a lawyer Right. Uh, you have to go through an apprenticeship. And that apprenticeship was not very easy to get for me. I worked pro bono for an entire year to get experience, make connections and understand how to become a better lawyer. And oddly enough, all of that experience, you know, in between law school and starting to work is really serving me well right this moment about community service, how to serve people better? How can you become a better professional? All the things that you're actually going to be asking me today, I inadvertently felt the innate need to do that, uh, to become a lawyer at that time. And so when I became a lawyer in the UK, I got my traineeship. It was in that time that I met my husband that I just mentioned, the sleepless in Seattle moment. And so <laughs> after I, I became a lawyer and got my certificate to practice law in the UK, as life would have it, it brought me to the US where I had to restart my journey because I didn't really want to go to law school again. I'd had, had enough of schooling. Um, and so I had to research how do I become a lawyer without going to school? And that was a difficult education in and of itself, figuring out the different parts. And so I learned I could take the New York bar exams. So people from the UK, at least, or probably even Ireland, if you have a legal, uh, an LLB degree, you can take the bar exams without going to law school here. So I took the New York bar exams, but I was living in the on the other side of the United States in Washington State. The New York, for those who don't know, is on the East Coast. Washington is the furthest West Coast state. And the United States has a federal system, meaning there are different states and the laws are you know, uh, embedded into the state laws. And if you are going to practice a state legal area, such as criminal law, you do need to be admitted into the state. So I had to now then figure out what kind of area of law I practice, even though I've, you know, got the New York bar exams behind me. And for immigration is a federal area of law. 
And I specifically of all the areas of law did not want to practice immigration. I really thought it would be asylum day in, day out. Uh, you know, I mentioned my father was a lawyer. I'd seen a lot of asylum law. I just wanted to do something different. Um, it turned out that immigration was my calling because it kept following me. I had two or three jobs, you know, come to me in immigration. And the third one, I thought, you know, I can't get anything else. I might as well just try this. And I have to tell you, day one of immigration, I realized it was my calling in life and it kept following me. The universe kept throwing it at me until I succumbed to it. And now I would never do anything else. I love it because it is intellectually challenging. The system in the United States is so complicated that you do need to really understand uh, the entire process to be able to advise your clients. I also get to experience different walks of life, people who are, you know, seeking humanitarian assistance like asylum, and not that I practice that much uh, today, but also CEOs of companies, um, you know, talented, skilled professionals who need to find a way to stay in the US. So I get to see everybody in between as well. So I, I really love the people I work with. I'm also, you know, as I mentioned, born in London, my parents were from Bangladesh, I've had the immigrant experience to some extent. And then I moved to the US where I am an immigrant. I never considered myself an immigrant in the UK because I was born and raised there right. but moving here made me go through the paperwork the experience of being an immigrant I've had the challenges that people talk about at the border at the airport and so anybody who talks to me about frustrations they feel with immigration I have personal experience of it I went through the system to become a citizen here and I have the experience of becoming a citizen and all the things that I had to do I even wrote a story about it I'll share it with you the Seattle Times published it and now when clients get their citizenship I really truly understand how important that moment is because I went through it so for so many different reasons I'm really good at what I do, I can relate to my clients, my clients relate to me, and the universe really found the purpose for me and made me do it. So here I am. And I'm so grateful you're allowing me to share that story. No, no, it's great. I mean, I'm going to put you on the spot here now. So, right, you've had all this experience, this wonderful journey. So let's bring it back all the way to the beginning. Do you have to have good grades and skill to become an attorney? And if you fail an exam or two, is it problematic later on to get into becoming an attorney? The answer is no. You don't necessarily need to, the best grades, but you definitely need to have good grades. Uh, and the reason is that you there's a lot of analysis that happens in law. And so your, your not necessarily not good grades will not prevent you from becoming a lawyer. And failure also does not prevent you from becoming a lawyer. What you need is determination. You need determination to go to the path that you have set for yourself in life, whether it's becoming a lawyer or something else. But what will be very important is to essentially learn those skills that you need to learn in law school um, and even university, because those an analytical skills that you learn along the way are exactly the things that you need as a lawyer. 
What kind of law do you need to go and research? Is this the end of the road? No, I'm not going to take that as a result. I'm going to go and research further. How does that apply to my client? If this doesn't work for my client, how else can I navigate the law as it stands? Every day, I kid you not, particularly under COVID, I have to tell my clients, well, you have option one, two, and three, but option three is the most conservative. And I will suggest you go with the most conservative because the laws can change, the policies can change, life can change, and something in all of these mixes will change the path you need to take. So those analytical skills are absolutely crucial. And the only way you get them is by going through the process of schooling. So while the best grades are not essential. Learning those skills are important. What about then a college? I mean, is it specific to go to, I mean, I'm not name dropping here colleges, but like your Harvard's, your Stanford's, your Brunel's, uh, you know, all these top colleges, or does it make any difference? And what college did you go to? Very good question. This is not in promotion branding, just so you know. (laughs) (laughs) Very good question. I wish I could say I went to an Ivy League school, but I didn't. And you ask a very important question because I obviously um, had to fight some of these issues myself. You know, I grew up always wanting to be a lawyer. And in the UK, like Ireland, if you do not have that apprenticeship, and at the time it was called a pupillage, um, if you don't have that, your dream of becoming a barrister is just gone. And what I didn't realize, I at law school, I went to Brunel University. You know, it's not an Oxford or Cambridge. It's not one of the worst either. But I was competing with people who came out of Cambridge and Oxford. And what I thought I was doing during law school is getting work experiences and checking the boxes I thought I needed to check. When I came out of law school, so not university, like Ireland. So for US listeners in the UK, you go to, you can go to um, undergraduate as a, 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 for law, and then you can go to law school to learn the hands-on training, like negotiating, advocacy, moot court. Um, and for people in, in Europe, US doesn't have that. In the US, you go to law school after your undergraduate degree, and you then immediately take the bar exam and get the license. In the UK, if you do not do the apprenticeship, you do not get the license, as I mentioned before. And so when I came out of law school, which was Brunel University, I thought I had checked all my boxes. But for that one pupillage position, I was now competing against at least 1,000 people. Many of them were from the Ivy League schools. So that's the year when I determined, that's where determination is everything. I wanted to become a barrister and I needed to make that happen. How would I make that happen? I sat down and thought to myself, how do I get the experience in a way that I want to learn it? I realized that pro bono work is the way I can get that experience while using my skills that I've learned at school. And so I... um, And I actually encourage people to, I wrote a book recently called Legal Heroes in the Trump Era. And I don't necessarily in my story talk about these experiences, but I had to write about exactly what I'm talking about with you, David, in the biography, because I had to really make people understand why all the things I'm about to tell you was important in what I'm doing now part of the nonprofit, part of fighting the Trump administration and helping the community. So at that time, I realized helping children and helping women were things I felt passionate about. So I found organizations that would take me as an intern 
and I learned from them. I made sure that instead of one slot that they had for students, which was a three hour shift, I did an entire day. I took three or four shifts to make sure that they knew me. I could actually learn the things that I wanted to learn. And I remember going out to lunch with them saying, hey, if you have anything that may can send me to court, please send me to court. Excuse me. What was interesting is they did have a case. It was a losing case. It was a difficult client. And they prepped me for it and said, okay, Tamina, there's a tribunal for this education issue. Do you want to go? And I'm like, yes, I will go. (laughs) And that was my first experience in court by myself. It was a tribunal, which is an informal court, but it was in the education uh, sphere where a parent needed more education um, assistance for her, her child who had disabilities and what happened from that is you take that one experience and you build on it and you build on it and so when I eventually went to law school um, you know I was helping people get these experiences too. I started a committee. No, I didn't start it. I helped this committee put on shows, um, events for students to get work experiences. But through that process, I had work experience in the education uh, legal field. I had training in the employment legal field. I had training in women's rights and children's rights and so forth. So by the time the second round came along to get the apprenticeship, I got very lucky in the universe helping me find an incredible mentor who I've recently rekindled my relationship with. Uh, and I want to give a big shout out, Elaine Banton. Hello. You are amazing. <laughs> She's in London. She's a barrister there, a pro bono award-winning lawyer, many awards. Um, and she mentors many people. And I was very lucky to have her as a mentor as well including the traineeship and the lawyer who trained me, his name is Peter Briegel. Um, Without these people, I wouldn't be anywhere, but they recognize the skills that I had learned and the determination. So anybody coming back to your main question, you know, your school doesn't necessarily determine where you're going to end up in life. It can help you the give you the ladder, the initial ladder, but whether you're successful or not is not going to be determined by that. And so you can create your destiny. And I think people need to understand that you are in control of your life. You take it where it needs to be and you make it happen. And I think I'm an example of all of the, the questions that you're asking because I had to fight for, with those sort of imposter syndromes while yeah. also learning uh, how to get there. And how long then does it take to, to study? I mean, you, 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 you mentioned the intern, just for, for our listeners, I mean, is an intern paid or is it a, is it a freebie? <laughs> is that the best way to put yeah, it? Yeah, <laughs> really good question. It's a really good question. It depends on your circumstances, where in the world you're, you're living in and what kind of industry you're in. But when I was at law school, um, or that in-between period, I came out of law school and I was looking for my next th- my pupillage. Uh, at that time, internships were actually uh, pro bono. You had to go in. And the, the reason is that these nonprofit organizations are taking you as a volunteer to give you training that you wouldn't otherwise have. So for me, at that time, it was all pro bono as volunteerism. Uh, but the skills that I had taken from that were invaluable. It's almost like you can't put a price on it. But there's also a saying that you get what you put in. Yes. And it's really important that you really invest yourself in that whatever thing that you're doing as a volunteer. And that goes, you know, volunteerism 
is something that will be important to people's lives throughout their careers if you really want to make a difference in, in the world. Um, and we can come to that later, but all of that experience uh, really did shape me in doing the things that I'm doing now. And then the dedication and the sacrifice needed, because I, I know myself in, in, from my industry, sometimes people think that when you become a pilot, that's it, the studying is finished. And you mentioned earlier on, with regards to you know, rules and regulations can change. So although you've become a fully qualified attorney, um, do you constantly have to keep yourself updated? Constantly with all the new, new regulations, new changes? Yes, absolutely. So as a lawyer in the US, you need to take what's called CLE credits, continuing legal education. In the U UK, they're also called something similar, CPD or CAs. I forget the, the terminology for it. But lawyers always have to take um, continuing legal education, uh, similar to other professionals. It's the only way you can keep on top of what's changing. And is that like a yearly basis or a, like a six monthly basis does it work like that mm, very good question in 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 washington state you have to report your cle credits every three years right and so you you there's a reporting period and what about because i'm very interested in this say for example right you didn't really study so you're fully qualified and you have to do these recurrent training programs and is it a pass and fail what happens is, um, so let's say one has qualified and one is practicing. Once you're practicing, you have to maintain that license. Every year you're renewing your license. Right. Um, at that time, there's some reporting to do. Uh, but there is definitely that CLE credit reporting to do as well. And so without renewing your license on an annual basis, you cannot have a license to practice law and so yes the answer is you've got to continue to do this all the time you mentioned there Thamina, the, the the bar exam what is the bar exam and how difficult is it because we see in all these uh, legal dramas or legal movies um you know did you sit the bar especially in that, that tv show suits which i love oh gosh um, <laughs> and I, <laughs> I think mike yeah. mike did mike not sit the bar or he did sit the bar yeah yeah, yeah. so what is the bar <laughs> really good question. The bar exam, and again, depending on where you live, and I have experiences both from the UK and the US, um, they're both to essentially satisfy the professional bodies that you have the basic knowledge, procedural and substantive knowledge of legal areas. And the bar exams will come after um, your schooling for, for law school. And it depends on where you live. So as I mentioned earlier, in the UK, after the, the bar vocational course at the time when I did it at a school called Inns of Court School of Law, which later became City University, um, I took the bar exams soon after you know, law school. So it's part of the law school program. But that bar exam didn't give me the license the license to practice law, the practicing certificate, came after doing the pupillage. Right. Okay, so the pupillage that we just talked about. In the US, however, after you go to law school, which is a postgraduate degree, which is referred to as a Juris Doctorate degree, um, then you take the bar exams. And the bar exams uh, will then give you a, a certificate, after which you take the oath, 
after which you're allowed to practice. So the bar exam is really the gateway to becoming a lawyer, but depending on the country, the license will give a, be given depending on the rules of that, that country. And now that of course I've gone to both, you know, gone through this process in both countries, um, you know, I can tell you that neither <laughs> of them are easy. <laughs> uh, and it takes a lot of studying and all sorts. So, um, you know, but it comes back to determination. Is this the thing that you want to do in life? Is it only one attempt or can you have a few goes? You can have a few goes, yeah. Mm -hmm. And is that recorded that, say, for example, you don't pass the first time or a second time, is that recorded to future uh, possible employers that you didn't get it the first time? Um, maybe, maybe not. I'm not 100% sure about that. Uh, but, you know, the professional bodies where you are licensed, they will obviously note it. Um, right. So I, I'm not 100% sure uh, on the answer for that, but maybe. But ultimately, what, what people are looking for when you're a lawyer is that you've got the bar exam behind you and you have a license. Right. And is it open book? Is it like um, you have a lot of information in front of you? You have 100 questions. Here's two hours. Go not, knock yourself out. <laughs> not, in, um, not in New York. Right. Uh, in Washington State, uh, I actually... I have I am admitted into New York State, but I'm also admitted in Washington State. And when I started practicing law, I was in New I only kept my New York license. Um, I didn't get admitted into Washington because, as I mentioned, immigration is federal. But for many reasons, I eventually uh, sat the bar here. And what I needed to do in Washington State is only take the Washington component, meaning that the state laws that apply here. And that was open book, meaning that you could refer to it, but there's a set amount of time where, you know, the computer will give you these questions. And open book could be helpful, but honestly, you've got to know the stuff. Right. And so I do, I, I advocate to people that don't be fooled by the open book notion. Right. So know your stuff. Mm-hmm. And study. Do the studying. Yes, do the studying. There's no substitute. So let's get to the reality part of it. I mentioned there the, the TV show uh, Suits. So for our listeners, is it anything like the TV show Suits? And is the starting salary low when you eventually be, become employed or you, you get employment? Again, it depends on which country you're living in, which kind of profession you're going into, what kind of law firm you're going into. Right. Um, and what kind of law you're going to practice. Um, in terms of salaries, they can be all over the place. Um, if you're going to a very big law firm like Allen & Overy in the UK or K&L Gates in the US, uh, those would be, have you know, higher salaries as a, an entry point. But if you're a public defender going into criminal defense, that salary is significantly lower. So the area of law will signify that. In terms of, um, sorry, what was the second part of that? So that's the salary and there was something else you asked. About the suits, TV show suits. Is it, is oh, it, suits. Is mm -hmm. it like the TV, all the glamour and the, the, can you say, is it backstabbing? Is TV show suits kind of backstabbing? Maybe from an outsider point of view, because you're looking at it I, where they're trying to win mm -hmm. a case. 
I don't know. Is, you know, is that normal? <laughs> well, I think office politics is something that exists in every country. Yeah. And, you know, I and every industry. So I don't think it's law specific. But coming back to Suits, I mean, you know, that was a very fun show. I was a big fan of that show. Um, it's not really like that. <laughs> but neither are, are any of the medical shows either. No. Um, but, you know, it's really it's what is what is true is that you know people's lives are at stake and lawyers really make a difference and I think if there's one thing that you take away from something like that is lawyers um, are making a difference in in people's lives and maybe not the not in the same way as suits but you know when they're doing the pro bono cases and people who are familiar with suits he goes to the non-profit and he helps with the housing case I mean those those people really need the lawyers to help save their buildings. And, you know, talking about the, the suit uh, episode in which they were helping people with housing needs right? and the schools and the properties and so forth. So law plays a very big part in, in, in society. And again, I come back to my book, Legal Heroes in the Trump Era. You know, lawyers made a big difference in the last four years, especially in how, um, you know, vulnerable people were being targeted in the policy changes uh, and the system that was already broken was essentially dismantled you know layer by layer and how do you get people the help they need and so um, the legal system the rule of law these are all fundamental parts of society and you need lawyers who really are trying to make the world a better place within the the framework of the law as it stands or try to make the law better but definitely don't try to break it like right. we've seen <laughs> in, the, in the last four years <laughs> so the romantic side of sleepless in seattle suits will will we won't say it's too a too romantic or the hollywood kind of pick it up we expect so then tell me this what would be for our listeners are expecting like type of working hours what would be your typical day so could it be varied? I mean, sometimes could you be like working maybe seven hours, eight hours, or is it specific to say like a nine to five? You know, um, it again depends on your practice area and what kind of law law firm you are working at. Um, I come back to my Legal Heroes book again. And the yeah. reason I mentioned this is because every lawyer in the book comes from a different type of legal background. Right. So what I wanted to demonstrate is that there are lawyers who have really gone above and beyond their day job, regardless of the type of law they're practicing. So okay. in the US, at, at least, we have seen um, the Black Lives Matter movement leading to many protests and arrests and so forth. We had the immigration issue that, you know, was on display around the world. Yes. Um, and then we've had climate change is a big issue, you know, in the last four years, uh, there was definitely a denial that science existed. Uh, thank goodness it's come back. <laughs> but, you know, there's a lawyer in the book who fights climate change and environmental law. And they work in different types of practices. There are also lawyers who work within companies who are referred to as in-house lawyers. There are lawyers in the book who are solo attorneys, meaning they're, you know, a high street practitioner, uh, you know, by themselves. But there are also lawyers who work at big law firms um, and their hours are different. 
Um, so honestly, it really varies depending on the background of uh, the law firm as well as the area of law. And so big law firms will make you clock in your time with billable hours and they can be you know anywhere from 1600 hours a year to 2500 hours a year and to bill you know six hours a day you actually probably are working eight hours a day right because not everything can be captured but if you're a solo attorney or a small law firm attorney like myself you have a lot more control over your life you can you know talk to somebody who's fascinating like david in the middle of the day without being answered <laughs> you know and share your story um i write a lot you know i would love for people to sign up to our blog what's an immigration law blog but i also have a column on a legal magazine uh, online publication called above the law and to make sure I meet my writing deadlines and I'm writing several books right now actually um, you know I want the freedom to be able to do the things that fuel my passion um, and so I can do that so my typical day as of 2021 and 2022 was a different story uh, 2020 was a different story but it started from that that I wake up very early about 5, 5.30 in the morning, so that before my work day begins at nine o'clock, I can do some meditation and I can write, uh, you know, the various projects that are in the pipeline. And then nine o'clock begins and my work day begins where I'm, you know, meeting with new clients, dealing with current clients work and cases, working with my team, answering questions for my team. Um, and then four o'clock five o'clock you know I'm making dinner for my kids um you know doing a little exercise I have a yoga teacher who helps me and then you know because I wake up so early I'm a an early bird these days going to bed <laughs> um but the day varies because I also do a lot of community work um now with zoom a lot of the time is taken with after hour meetings for this committee that committee that bar association that organization so I've continued to do all the volunteerism that started in those early days that I just mentioned because when you become a lawyer yes you're a lawyer helping your clients but as the book will demonstrate you can still make a difference in the world yeah. with the skills that you're you, you've accumulated and that difference will um also evolve and so nowadays you know i'm essentially trying to see where can i build create help systems so that the community can get lawyers in the way they need to because the last four years under the trump administration really did break down everything to to minute um, um areas in which people can't get the the legal help they need and so in the introduction you mentioned widen um and since widen i've also helped collaborate with people in in creating new legal clinics in where immigration lawyers can get a stipend and the community member who needed help will continue to get pro bono assistance. What we need is newer things to help with the times that we're in. And all the experience I've gathered, not just from the pro bono work I did 15, 16, 20 years ago, but also the work I do every day with my clients, dealing with the broken immigration system, but also what the community needs are. And so it's an interesting time in my life where 
I feel as though I can make a difference. And um, well-being, you know, I love that you're talking about well-being because if you do not have an oxygen mask on your own face, you cannot help others. And I've learned the hard way that I've needed to take care of myself through exercise, through good nutrition, through um, mental health, you know, like meditation I mentioned. All these things are for me to have my own oxygen mask, because if I can have that oxygen mask, I can absolutely help people around me. Yeah, that's a great way of putting it. I think I've learned the hard way myself is that, um, you know, if you don't look after yourself, you can't really it's very difficult to help others, um, especially when you're you know, struggling as, as, as the individual. But listening to you, I thought, where do you get time? I mean, you're, <laughs> <laughs> I think you need more oh, than oxygen. We need to give oh you something else. <laughs> I, you know, if you could find me more hours in the day, I'd love it. You know, I love saying yes to everything that comes my way because I feel it's a blessing yeah. to be able to make a difference, knowing I have the passion and the enthusiasm and the skills but what I have learned is I need a good team for anything I do so at my law firm I am very lucky and blessed to have some incredible team members who are like me passionate about the work they do they're dedicated and um, I don't have to worry about uh, what kind of work they're going to produce so I have a great team there I work in collaboration what I've learned is that whichever direction I want to make a difference in I need a village and my village are the community members that also want to make a difference. My, com- my village is the immigration lawyer community that, you know, I thank every single day for making the difference that they did in the last four years. And my village is my family. My husband is my biggest, biggest cheerleader. He's also my biggest help. He's truly incredible as a support and encourager. And I have to tell you just an example you know, podcasting, just like you and me, we're talking right now. I, in my podcasting journey actually began as a radio show host. I had a live radio show. And after doing that for two years, the station actually sold to, to different managers and I lost my show. Mm. And so I, t- I, I turned it into a podcast. So I would go to a studio that was very fancy and <laughs> had the mic and all of that. And it became a challenge to go there for because traffic in Seattle was not very good at the time. And finding the time to go there was not easy. And so the podcasting episodes were not as regular anymore. But then we hit COVID and I'm sitting at home doing Zoom meetings with clients all the time and other community members. And I thought, why can't I do podcasting through this? So that's how the Legal Heroes book came about, because I wanted to do a series talking to the lawyers with the background I just mentioned. How did they step up beyond their day jobs? And what happened was it led to creating the book. The book was not the initial plan. It was just a podcast series. But when the book came along, I really wanted to record it as an audio book. And so I had to then figure out how do I record a book in my home where I have noisy kids and not a soundproof room. And so I co-opted one of the kids' closets. I went to 
every Facebook page, talked to every person that I could, saying, hey, how do you record at home? And people shared pictures of their closets with blankets. My um, senior paralegal at our office, Nicole Lockett, uh, shout out to Nicole, who also does a lot of radio shows, you know, and her sort of her passion is to be uh, in theater. She recommended doing that too. So I put blankets around and I got a really great sound coach. And what happened was I was able to record the book in those circumstances with the blankets everywhere to make it soundproof. But my husband, who's so amazing, he saw that as a problem and he went and bought foam and acoustic, you know, wall fittings or whatever. And he's now perfected that little closet into a sound studio for me. Oh, wow. He really has. I didn't have to ask him. He saw the problem. He fixed it. I mean, I, I could not have more support than I have from my husband, who's my biggest cheerleader. So what I am doing now is he's almost at the end of it. And I'll, David, I'll email you some pictures. Um, once that closet studio is almost finished, it's almost finished. It just needs a little bit of touch up. Um, I'm going to be doing some more podcast series uh, on various issues that I care about. And so the reason I'm able to do this is because I have a network of people within my life who feel the same way I, as I do about all the things that we want to change in the world. Mm. And so I rely on the villages to be able to help me get to the finish line of whatever project we're doing. But, you know, time is important. And I feel as though I've managed to juggle and manage time well. Um, and I do have to put a plug in for meditation. You know, most people will say, and I was one of them, that there is no time in the day to do it. And I remember some people saying, you know, if you do meditation, you get more time in the day. And I'm like, I want some of that. But I just didn't know how to do it. Yes. But I, I took transcendental meditation teachings, uh, lessons, and um, that prescribes doing two 20-minute you know, sittings a day. And I still haven't perfected that. But in the morning, I, I do practice transcendental meditation uh, 20 minutes a day at least and I have to say that what that has done is that it's made me calmer in my approach I'm not as reactionary to problems that in the past would have rattled me and it also helps me stay focused and so you know it's a it's a bit like bringing your podcast to uh, you know to what it needs to be it's a, or what it is it's the the holistic approach of being a human being and uh, it's it's very sorry, difficult what? to do that go ahead no it, well, it's it's interesting i think it, it, um, you've raised the bar excuse the pawn with your husband because all the poor <laughs> husbands listening to this will be like oh my god i have to i have to you know i have to look look at the cupboard now and i make a sound room and <laughs> Oh, I'm very, I'm very, very blessed. But he's an incredible <laughs> father. You know, he spoils the children rotten, and I have to pull him back a little. But um, you know, support like that. Now. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you know, he'll be like, "Oh, I wanted to be invisible. What have you done?" <laughs> be like One Direction or the Beatles. They'll be all camping outside your home in Washington. Uh, where, where, <laughs> where's uh, Nina's husband? That's he's a, a that's blessing. <laughs> You mentioned before with um, uh, uh, Legal Heroes, uh, you're the author of uh, two books, actually, Start of Visa and Legal Heroes. What can readers expect? I mean, you touched briefly on Legal Heroes, but what's the difference between the two books? 
Oh, I'm so glad you asked because, you know, these two books are different journeys and I really never saw myself as an author. Even after, after the first book, I don't really thought I was, think, I don't think I thought of myself as an author as such. But the second book really just solidified. I, I can now confidently say I'm an author. But the two books have different purposes. The first one, the startup visa, is advocating for a visa category for entrepreneurs who come to the US using modern day entrepreneurial tools. And for example, when you're an entrepreneur, you're getting funding for your, your idea, you're rolling up your sleeves and you're in a basement and you're working hard to get, ever, get whatever it is that you are working on to fruition. Um, the US legal system doesn't recognize that. The US legal system is immigration system at least is based in in the laws from 1950s and how the world was at the time the world has changed so many times over that you know the law does not take into account these tools so the first book was advocating for that and in fact right this moment i'm working on the second edition of it because we have a new administration congress is looking at immigration reform uh, but also we're in a recession the pandemic has um, completely hammered the the economy and immigration could be a tool to revive that and entrepreneurs can do that so i'm working on the second edition of that the Legal Heroes book is really more of an inspirational book. It documents what lawyers did during the Trump era. And it really is trying to advocate that we can be our own inspirations. We can inspire other people. And while lawyers, the, the book is talking about lawyers, you don't have to be a lawyer to make a difference in the world. And I took these lawyer examples because they truly were crucial in the last four years in different aspects that I just mentioned, but none of these lawyers necessarily set out to be the inspiration. They really came out because they wanted to make the world a better place. They saw children being separated from their parents. They saw people distressed at airports. They saw people being arrested at protests without having assistance. Um, all of these things were very important. And as I mentioned, the law is a foundation of society, but what readers, whether you are a lawyer or not, will read and see it from your own perspective. And if you care about an issue, you will likely be inspired to do something towards that cause. So if education is something you care about because the pandemic has obviously affected education wherever you are in the world and you want to make a difference in that, you will probably take a step towards it. At least that's my hope. And so both the books are important books, in my opinion, um, but of course, I'm biased, but no I really course. do believe that. <laughs> I do believe that. And they have two different purposes. And it also documents. It documents what lawyers did. It's documenting a little piece of history of what Trump did in a very dark period of American history. And where could listeners get their hands on the book? Is it on Amazon or uh, uh, online? Oh, yeah, sure. Thank you for asking. Um, they're, they're both available on Amazon, uh, wherever you are in the world, uh, on Amazon in Ireland, UK, US, of course, or anywhere. Uh, and if you're a US listener, you can get them on Barnes and Nobles um, and other online platforms. Um, but in, in, in Washington state, they are in two independent bookstores. One is called, um, one is on Mercer Island. Uh, um, and the I called Island Books and there is a bookshop in uh, downtown Seattle called Arundel Books and they are carrying it too.
So where can the listeners then find you on social media? I mean, you're, you're, the, you're the founder of the nonprofit Widen. You have your podcast show. You're just so busy. Mm-hmm. Where can yeah. they find you? <laughs> um, yes, I'm, I'm everywhere. I'm on Twitter, to me, at Tamina Watson. I'm on Instagram, Instagram, Tamina.Watson. I'm on LinkedIn. You can definitely find me there, and that's a great place to connect. Um, my website, Watson Immigration Law, that's my primary uh, home for everything I do. Um, and there's a blog there, and I would encourage people to sign up. And if you do read the book, I would so appreciate a review because what I've learned is the more stars the book has, the more um, attention it gets from people that don't know me or any of the lawyers within the book. And this message is important because the world needs people to be helping make make our challenges better because we're not in isolation. One of the things I tell people is the the COVID-19 pandemic if anything proves how connected we are. It doesn't matter which part of the world you live in, we're all connected. And if you didn't believe it before, believe it now. And that means that if you can make your part of the world better, it will find a way of making another part better. And if we all make our little tiny areas better, you know, it's a bit like the little drops that make an ocean. And so that's what I would like people to remember that we are all part of this world and it's incumbent on us that we all do our part to be good citizens of the world. Well, the part of this podcast, we'll put all the links to um, where the listeners can get your books and where you are on social media, your podcast show and your website. With regards to Widen, which is non-profit, what kind of motivates you to start Widen? Is that how you pronounce it? Did I pronounce it correctly? Is yes, that yes, yes, you did. Thank you. Um, yeah, you know, it was interesting because it took 18 months to sort of develop the vision. And then I had some amazing people help, you know, actually put it together. Um, it really is, it came because the need for immigration lawyers was so high that it was getting more and more difficult to meet the demand. And as that was becoming clearer to me, the person who was getting the calls to provide immigration lawyers to community events, I realized that we needed to find a way to give them some sort of compensation because it's not fair that these people who are already very stressed with their own lives and practices are called upon to provide free advice day in, day out. And so that was the notion. And there's essentially what Widen does is it provides lawyers to represent detained immigrants in their trials in the courtroom. In the UK, US, which is different from how things are in the UK, immigrants do not have a right to counsel. They right. will not be given a government lawyer. And so this is a tiny step towards getting some help. It's nowhere near to solving the problem, but it's a little tiny part of what a solution could be. And so we've that's what we do. Is, before we go, do you have any funny stories or, or stories of humor that you've encountered throughout your career it can't be all serious oh yeah you know let's think about this um oh you know the the language barrier (laughs) even though we speak english (laughs) you know i initially had the language barrier you know i i think my accent has softened uh having been here for 15 years but you know i was speaking very uh you know like an english person and i didn't get understood and so one of the funny stories is when i was dating my husband we were at a pizza restaurant and he said, can you pass me the oregano? 
And I'm you like, what? <laughs> and I, I honestly didn't know what he meant. And I'm like, what? And he said, the oregano. And I'm like, what? So that green leafy thing there. And I said, oh, the oregano. <laughs> Why didn't you say so? And, you know, it's interesting because while we speak English, there are definite language barriers. Uh, sometimes the how you express something is different, you know, pants and trousers. I've adapted to language, but in, even in the law, you know, uh, one particular story is uh, I had a client who was laid off from their job. And at the time I was working with another lawyer and I said to my client, so when did they made, make you redundant? And, you know, she didn't understand. So I had to repeat myself and she said, oh, you know, I was let go on such and such date. And then I had to go back and talk to my, um, my colleague and say, you know, I asked him when they went, made, were made redundant. And she said this, da, da, da. and she just stared at me for a while and I couldn't understand why. And she goes, did you just call our client useless? <laughs> <laughs> and I had no idea what she meant, you know, because to me, you know, redundancy is a real thing yeah, in sure. the world of employment. And so that was an issue. So there are many language issues that I had to overcome, like substituting my S's with the Z's, or now I call them Z because I have to get understood, but, you know, the Z. And, um, you know, there came a time where I didn't know if I was writing English or UK English or American English, because then they both looked right. You know, if any, when you're writing something, you can often tell if it's the right spelling or not. So for like defense, you know, I was writing it with a C because that's the UK version. And then I had to adapt to writing it with an S. And then for the longest time, I could tell which was UK and which was US. And then they both started to look correct. And when they both started to look correct, that's when I was in trouble thinking, I don't know what language I'm writing. So thankfully, you know, word on, you know, your Microsoft or whatever has the US spelling or an English spelling. So I don't make that mistake much. But, uh, you know, it's, it was it was a transition, I have to say. So many <laughs> funny stories around around language. And, and does the word then, notice word fired. I, I couldn't get couldn't get the grips with that. Obviously, I watched The Apprentice years ago. <laughs> And you'd hear the word, you're fired. And I thought it was very harsh. I thought, oh, my word, it's so harsh. I'd be fairly like maybe terminated, um, yeah. you know, sacked, unemployed. Mm -hmm. I mean, would, would the, would, would the uh, American legal system understand the word of you're sacked instead of you're fired? Would that be something totally different? They, 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 they wouldn't necessarily understand you're sacked. No. <laughs> Yeah, it's interesting, you know, when I watch TV and I especially watch English television shows, I, I get remind, I'm reminded about words I haven't used for a long time. Like, right. you know, just colloquially in, in the UK, you'll call somebody bloke or, you know, um, uh, give me a, I don't know, I, or give me, I forget, a quid for a, a quid, dollar, you know, yep. a pound. You know, you, you, it's, it's interesting. I get reminded about language when I watch English shows, but I very much have acclimated at this point. All right, you're 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 converted. That's it. <laughs> you're, you're now on the American I'd say side. so. You're converted. <laughs> so, what about then, as your last statement, so to speak, on the podcast, which have been so enjoyable, you're so knowledgeable. But what what could you say to listeners who, you know, they're, they're probably in high school at the moment or secondary school in Europe, I suppose. Is that how we call it? High school in America, secondary school. Mm -hmm. Who want to become an attorney or a lawyer? I mean, what words of encouragement have you got for them, especially now during this? 
pandemic or COVID to, to pretty much keep progressing, follow their dreams, follow their career? Well, number one, I'd say do not give up on your dream, no matter what people say to you. If you want to go somewhere, you take your life there. So do not give up. Do not be dissuaded by what people say. And then, you know, take little steps towards, you know, just gaining skills. Skills can be transferred into different careers. So if you're volunteering at a school, you're learning organizing, you're learning teamwork, those skills are transferable no matter where you go in life. So keep gathering skills with a goal of becoming a lawyer. Well, thank you so much today for chatting with me, Tamina Motson, on your journey to becoming a immigration lawyer, or I'll say attorney, just to cover both bases, just so everybody's, everybody's happy, uh, chatting with me today on the, the Wellbeing and Career World podcast. Thank you so much, Tamina. Thank you so much for having me.